Uh, I got good news for you. We, um, we tested out last week a number of seat cushions for the bleachers section, and uh, we think we've, well, we have found. We have found one, and we're placing an order. So we're going to have a bunch of those seat with the backs, too. They have a back on them, too. So you'll have back support and a cushion. Oh, it's exciting. There'll be the Redskins logo on it. So I, I just, I just, I just kidding. Some people asked that we do that, and I said, no, that would not be a good thing to do. So we decided not to do that. But we do have the seat cushions coming. I hope they'd be there here next week, but I can't promise that. You never know. But they are coming. So there you go. You have the blue bulletin, right? And so you can read the announcements. There's no reason that I should say them again. You all love to read the announcements as much as I do. So I encourage you to do so. I'll just say this one thing. Let's see, Sunday, November the 6th. Is that the day we get an hour extra sleep? Is that the day we fall back? Is that right? That's a wonderful day, isn't it? Do you know that's one of the best attended church Sundays in America, the day that we fall back? So on that day, in addition to an extra hour of sleep, uh, Paul Young, the author of The Shack, is coming. And so uh, I've said this the past couple weeks, but I just want you all to be aware of that. It should be a great day. And he's going to kind of tell the story behind the book uh, that he wrote called The Shack, which should be really good to hear. There's a lot of healing that went on in his own life, and he's going to share that story with us. All right. Today we're beginning a series on the book of Daniel called Can I Trust You? And I thought, I let me just start by reading the first eight verses of Daniel chapter 1. And I encourage you that um, if you're not in the habit of like bringing a Bible to church, it's a great time to get in the habit because we're just going to march through chapter by chapter and it's a good time to write and circle and stuff and because we're going to go over some dates and things here and there, so it'll be a good time to, to do that. If you don't have one, I think we have Bibles on the table out there. You can always pick up one there. Here you go, Daniel chapter 1. I'll read the first eight verses. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, Babylonia, that's where Iraq is now, okay? To his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. All right, verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men, without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning. So these are like, you know, guys that would be on the cover of the sexiest man issue or whatever, whoever those guys are. Who are those guys anyway? Right? Are any of those guys here today? Brad Pitt, these kind of... So these are good-looking guys, very intelligent guys. Young men, any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude, every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table, and they were to be trained for three years, and after that, they were enter the king's service. Let me stop right there and tell you, what's going on with this? What they're trying to do is like totally indoctrinate these, these, these guys are like 14, 15 years old. So they try to totally, so they get them to eat their food. They get them to look like them, think like them, everything. They're changing their names. They do all this kind of stuff. All right. Verse number six. Here's where they change their names. Among them were some from Judah, Daniel, who the book is named after, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Every single one of their names is attached to the God of this Bible. That's what the deal is. Now, here's where they change their name. And they change their name to attach it to the God of Babylon. So it says, the chief gave them new names. Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, 
to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Verse number eight, and we'll stop with this. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. What's the deal without eating the royal food and wine? Because it's the best that they have to offer. It's five-star food. Why wouldn't he eat it? Well, the reason he wouldn't eat it is because this food had been sacrificed to all these pagan gods of Babylon. And the Bible, which Daniel knew and his buddies knew, said in the Bible that you should not eat this food that's been sacrificed to these idols. You should not do it. And so they were resolved that they were going to follow God's word. Let's pray. Lord, help us today. Help us to learn something here this morning from your word that will change our lives. In Christ's name, amen. All right, this series I have entitled, um, it's time to, it's, Can I Trust You? The sermon's titled, uh, It's Time for Resolution. Can I Trust You? I was thinking this past summer, it's like in July, Josh and Tom Lapham and myself, we went down to Haiti. We did a reconnaissance trip on Haiti because Josh was excited about working uh, with an orphanage down in Haiti in a little town called Jeremy. So we flew in to Port-au-Prince. And then we had an option. We could take a 15-hour one-way, 15-hour one-way bus ride to this little town called Jeremy where this orphanage was, or we could go on a plane. And Josh opted that we would fly on a plane. So we go to this little tiny airport there in Port-au-Prince, and we walk out on the runway, and I'm walking up to this little five-seat airplane, right? And there's rust spots on it, and the paint is dulling, dulling on it, and the tires are like totally bold. And I'm looking at the pilot, and I'm looking at this plane, and this thought, this question comes across my mind. Can I trust you? Can, can I trust you? Like, I'm happy that most of this flight is out over the water. Can I trust you? Are we going to... And on the entire flight there, 40, which we made it, fine, I'm asking myself that same question the whole time. Can I trust you that you're actually going to get us there? And I realize I'm asking myself that question all the time about everything. If I go to the doctor and the doctor says, you know what, you need to do X, Y, and Z, I say to myself, can I trust you? Are you telling me the right thing? I go to a financial advisor. He says, you should do this. And I said, can I trust you? I go to the barber shop. And when the barber pulls out that six-inch razor blade, right, and he stand, didn't like Al Capone, didn't he die that way in prison, right? Isn't that right in Alcatraz? Didn't somebody slit his throat with a razor? And I'm thinking to myself, I don't even know you. You've got this big razor held up to my neck. Can I trust you? Chris and I... Years ago, um, many years ago, I was working for UPS. I go to work at 2.30 in the morning, right? And I got off. I hadn't had anything to eat. It was like 10.30, and I was starving. We went to this place to eat. It's called Edelweiss Cafe, right? Who recognizes Edelweiss from what? Sound and music. So it has got to be a great place. So we go in there. I'm starving. Go in Edelweiss Cafe. We walk in. My wife is, like, deathly afraid of bugs. I mean, little tiny bugs, but it's like they're, you know, gigantic. I don't know what the deal is. But then she's just deathly afraid. And so we sit down at the table. And she looks up on the wall, and there's two cockroaches running up on the wall. Oh, yes. This is a problem. About that time, the waitress walks up. And so my wife looks at her. She's scared to death. She says, do you have a bug problem here? And the waitress was just, I mean, she was indignant. She's like, no, we don't have a bug problem. Why would you ask such a thing? Well, you know, and so anyway, the waitress goes, and 
I'm happy to watch her. She goes to a counter that's just, you know, like 20 feet away, and I could see her. She gets behind the counter, and as I'm watching her, I see her look down, and she goes <laughs> like this. And I'm thinking, now I know I can't trust you, right? So here's the question. Can we trust God? Can we trust God's word? Why? If we can, why should we? Why could we trust God and trust his word? The book of Daniel, everybody, is an absolutely amazing book. I've known the stories about Daniel for many years of my life. Maybe some. Has anybody heard about Daniel in the lion's den? Anybody here ever? Maybe. Right, there's a couple of Daniels. So I heard of that as a kid or, or about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego in the fire furnace. Anybody know that story? Okay. Those are the stories I kind of knew. I knew them from a surface level. But about a year ago, I just, for some reason, I just started feeling like, man, we need to study the book of Daniel. And I went out and I got like 10 different really, you know, highly acclaimed commentaries on the book of Daniel. And I started, I thought, oh my goodness. The thing that is so amazing about the Bible altogether and the book of Daniel is there's history here. There's verifiable history that we could read in the Bible, in Daniel, which we're going to talk about just a little bit today, but this whole series, like the next nine weeks, we're going to go through Daniel and talk about, okay, here's what Daniel says happened, or here's what Daniel predicted would happen, and what do we know from secular history? Did that really happen? And the cool thing about the Bible that makes it so unique among sacred text is that history is woven right into the faith story. So this is what I want you to write down. Daniel is a book of faith and facts. And when you put faith and facts together, that gives you like this, whoa, you say, wait a minute. This thing is really true. That can't necessarily be done with all sacred writings. But the Bible is so unique that way. I just want to give you a couple, if that's okay. Because there's so many, I was having a hard time to choose. I'll just give you a couple that are here. In chapter 1, it says that Daniel and his buddies go into this great school of learning. And they're immersed in this thing, this higher education thing. It's a really big deal of it. Do we have any indication from secular history that that is true? Yes, we do. Secular history tells us that Babylon was the learning center of the world and had, had the best library at that time in Babylon. That's true. In chapters 2, 7, and 8, there's this prophecy that is given about these four kingdoms. And we're told that the first kingdom is Babylon itself. Then we're told the second kingdom in chapter 7 and 8 is going to be the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians that is going to rise up. Now, Daniel's prophesying this stuff all before it happens. He said, the Medes and the Persians are going to rise up. What does secular history tell us that the Medes and Persians rise up and defeat you know, do they feed him? Yes, that's exactly what takes place. And then he says, there's going to be another kingdom. That kingdom is going to be Greece. And matter of fact, Greece is going to rise up and it's going to fly through this whole area. It's going to give world domination. And matter of fact, it's going to do it so fast, it's going to be like an animal. It calls it a goat, a shaggy goat of all things. It's like a shaggy goat and it's going to run so fast, it's going to be as if the feet doesn't even touch the ground. Now, do we know from secular history, did that happen? And did it happen fast? Who can tell me the name of the guy that ran across that entire region of the world so fast? Anybody know? Alexander the Great. Just like it says. In Daniel chapter 5, there's this king. His name is Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Now, when Daniel says that he is the king of Babylon, Belshazzar, here's our problem. We have no secular record of any guy by the name of Belshazzar. So for many years, people said, well, the book of Daniel obviously is wrong. It's obviously wrong. 
And then over the past hundred years, we have discovered 30, archaeologists have discovered 37 different pieces of material referring to King Belshazzar. King Belshazzar, he was having this big banquet one night. And while he was having this banquet, in his huge banquet room, we're told in Daniel chapter 5 that the hand of God shows up and writes on the plaster wall of his banquet room. Secular history tells us, archaeologists have studied this, that there was this huge banquet room in the great city of Babylon, and of all things, it had a plaster wall in it. And this guy says to Daniel, if you can tell me what this writing says on the wall, I'll promise you the third place in the kingdom. And so critics of the Bibles came along and said, you know what? That's ridiculous. Why would a king say to somebody, I'll give you the third? Why would he say, I'll give you the second? That's because he was a co-regent. There were two kings at the time. This guy, Belshazzar, was the son of the true king whose name was Nabonidus. And Nabonidus lived outside of the city. And so the only thing he gave give to Daniel was the third place in the kingdom because he couldn't get the second. The first and second were already taken. All of this just kind of comes together. All right. Well, that's enough for today because I can see you're thrilled with that. But there's so many historical facts, everybody, that just come together that are proof positive through secular history that Daniel was spot on. All right. Um, Jesus Christ himself said that Daniel was a prophet. That's how he felt about Daniel in Matthew 24, 15. He says, so when you see standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation spoken through the prophet Daniel. First, Daniel is a prophet. Ezekiel, who is a contemporary of Daniel, who was also a captive in Babylon. He lived along the Euphrates River. He ministered to all the Israelites who were there in captivity for 70 years. He refers to Daniel three different times. And in one of those times, instead of referring to Solomon as the wisest man that he can think of, he refers to Daniel, who is in the palace at that time. All right, let's do a quick review what in the world is going on here? I was talking to a guy this morning. He was telling me he's reading a chronological Bible. You know, everybody, one of the problems is that we read through the Bible. You know, the Old Testament, you know, particularly where it becomes difficult, so many dates and stuff, is that it's not in chronological order. Like, it does start with Genesis, right? That's good. That is the beginning. But from there, I mean, we begin moving around. So when we're talking about the Israelites, you'll read early on that, you know, Jerusalem was destroyed, and then later on, here Jerusalem is again, and it's getting destroyed again. You're thinking, how many times is this place getting destroyed? So a guy was telling me he's reading this chronological Bible, and it helps out a lot. So if I can frame a little bit of history for you, all right? 605 B.C., Babylon had risen up in power, and they had this big battle against the world power at the time was the Egyptians. It was the Battle of Carchemish, and they had this battle, and they defeated the Egyptians. Nebuchadnezzar is the general of the army. Nebuchadnezzar's father is the king of Babylon. So he's making his way back to Babylon, modern-day Iraq, from Egypt. So he's coming up, and he's just, like, conquering everybody as he goes. And he gets to Jerusalem, and he lays siege to it. What happens when you lay siege to a city? What are you trying to do to them? Anybody know? Starve them out. They starve them out. While he's there starving them out, his dad dies. Nebuchadnezzar's dad dies. So he makes a quick deal of it here, and he goes into the city, and he takes the best and the brightest. Daniel was part of the best and brightest, and his three buddies were the best and the brightest. It took about 70 people back. And told the king, hey, look, you know, uh, you better do what I say. And then they, they trekked on off. There were three deportations. This was the first. The second happened in 597. So, you know, five, six, seven, eight years later. So they took a bunch more people. That's when Ezekiel went. And then finally in 586, they destroyed the whole city. They destroyed the temple. Everything's leveled. Everything's leveled to the ground. And so much of what you read in the Bible refers to this event. But you find it in different places in the Bible. But that's basically how it happens. And this is how we get... To chapter 1. Now, here's my question. How 
can you trust a defeated God? How can you trust a defeated God? Back in those days, when one nation rises up and defeats another nation, you say, well, this nation over here, they've got the God because this God beat this God. How in the world we read here in chapter one that Daniel resolves to not defile himself and to follow God. Maybe you've had things in your life that hadn't turned out. Of course you've had. You've had things in your life that hadn't turned out as you wanted to. You prayed about things and they didn't come true, didn't happen. Matter of fact, sometimes you prayed about something to happen this way and the exact opposite has happened, right? These things happen. So you tell me how in the world is Daniel going to resolve himself to fully commit himself to not defile himself to this defeated God? He's, he's in Babylon and everybody else is eating the food. Come on, man, get with the program. Why would he not do that? Well, there's a pretty strong reason why. About 1,000 years before Jerusalem falls in 605 BC, a guy by the name of Moses, you all heard of Moses before, right? Moses says in Deuteronomy 28, day's going to come when you're all going to rebel against God and you're going to be, your cities are going to be laid siege to. And then he gets really graphic, which I will not read those verses because it is actually really gruesome and graphic because things got really bad in those cities when siege was laid to it. And you're going to be taken away captives again. All right, now if that is enough, and here's the thing, Daniel knows all this. Because we're told that Daniel was the best and the brightest, and he was already very well learned. Like, he didn't show up to Babylon just being like a dopey 14-year-old kid. He showed up already having a huge amount of education. And one of the things he was educated in is the law. Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, right? Deuteronomy, right? So he knew this already. Here's the next thing. 100 years before Daniel was born, this guy by the name of Isaiah, one of the major prophets in the Bible. And this is what Isaiah says. He prophesied that this would happen. He says, listen, he's speaking to Hezekiah. Hezekiah had shown the king of Babylon all of the, all the priceless articles that were in his palace and in the temple. And he says this, listen to the words of the Lord, all powerful in the future. Now, this is a hundred years before this whole deal in 605 BC. In the future, everything in your palace and everything your ancestors have stored up until this day will be taken away to where? Babylon, he says it's a hundred years before this takes place. Nothing's going to be left, says the Lord. Some of your own children, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, were of the royal family. They trafficked in and out of the palace. They were of the royal family. So what does he say a hundred years before it happens? Some of your own children, those who are born to you, will be taken away and they'll become servants. Where? In the palace of the king of ba- Is this amazing? Let me give you one other. 605 B.C., as Nebuchadnezzar is showing up and he's surrounding the city of Jerusalem, this guy by the name of Jeremiah, another famous prophet in the Bible, this is what he prophesies. He says, this whole land is going to be a desolation. It's going to be an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon for how many years? Seventy years. Does anybody know how long the children of Israel stayed in captivity? Seventy years. If you said 70, we have a star for you on the way out. Then it will come to pass when 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon. Do you know how many years it took before the Medes and Persians rose up and they came in through, through the, underneath the great mighty wall of this incredible city, the most incredible city of the time, Babylon? They came underneath the wall through the Euphrates River and without a shot being fired, they destroyed the whole kingdom of Babylon. You know how long it took? If you said 70 years, you're right, my friend. That's So here's what I'm saying to you. Daniel knew all this. You know why he could trust in the defeated God? Because actually God had not been defeated at all. 
The fact that the city was taken was validation of God's word. It was God saying, I told you this. I've been telling you over and over and over again. It actually came true. So if this didn't happen, Daniel would have a greater degree of mistrust or distrust for God. But it did come true, and so Daniel could trust God. So here's the thing. This is what I want to focus on. He is so resolved. He said, I'm not, I am not going to defile myself anymore. And the deal is this. Many of us have a desire to be resolved like Daniel. If Daniel had not been resolved here in chapter 1, all the great things that we're going to read about in these next few weeks ahead of us never would have happened. Like, Daniel would have been over in chapter 1. But he was resolved. And he was resolved not to defile himself anymore. And here's what I know. Many of you are just like me. We want to be, resol- we want to be resolved. And we're tired of defiling ourselves. We want to be resolved. But the gap between what we want to do and who we really are, like the Apostle Paul says, sometimes is quite wide. So I'm wondering as I read through here, are there any helps in Daniel chapter 1 that's going to actually help me to be resolved so I can stop defiling myself and stop kind of falling into temptations that I go through? Like when somebody passes that hamburger that's in sacrifice to some idol, can I finally say no? You know what I mean? Can I finally say no, I'm not going to do this thing? And, there's some, and I think we see this. This whole deal here is not about food, just to be clear. This whole thing here is that Daniel resolves himself to honor God in everything he does. The way he speaks, the life he leads, it's the same resolve that all of us need to make as well. That we, we honor God at work, at play, the words we speak, the things we watch, whatever we do, that we desire to honor God the way that we live our lives. The word resolved, if you want to fill this blank, it's a very strong word. It means to be set. It means to be determined. It means to be, it means to be fixed. It's a very strong, strong word. So I want to give you just like five quick helps here on resolution. So if you're like me and you help with this whole resolution being resolved, here are just five really practical things we see in Daniel chapter 1 that's actually going to build us up and help us to do that. So the first one is this. A resolution needs to be based on proof. Now, I've kind of already made the case for this. It was based on proof for Daniel. He knew all of these prophecies. He understood history. He took the time to learn the history. Well, he didn't really take the time. They forced him to learn it, but he absorbed it. I mean, we could be presented with the truth, but we could not accept it. And so he's presented with the truth. He says, ah, okay. So I got Moses. I got Isaiah. I got Jeremiah. I have proof. This is why we need to investigate and do a little more thorough study of God's word, right? Go a little deeper. Understand what is the history behind it? What's going on here? Because when you have those proofs, It helps you in your resolution to stay strong. We need those proofs. It is really, really important. Here's what the reality is. Extensive research has been done on people, you know, like some of us maybe here in this room who are attempting to be followers of Christ, right? Extensive research has been done on those of us living in America who are attempting to do this. You know what the researchers have found out? There is almost no difference whatsoever in our practices, the way we live our lives, the things we do, the things we see, the cheating on the taxes, whatever, right? Who we're sleeping with. There's no difference between us and everybody else. What's happening here in Babylon is they're trying to get Daniel, Shadrach, 
Meshach and Abednego, what are they trying to do? Trying to immerse them so they're just like everybody else. Don't you think? There were 70 other teenage boys that went there. And we're talking about just four who said, you know, I'm not going to eat that meat. Don't you think some of the other teenage boys said, oh, come on, man. Just eat the meat. Give it a break. Go with the flow. Melt in. What is the deal? Why you got to make a big deal out of this? Dan says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'll make a stand against it. Well, what helps us to make that stand is when we have proof positive. That is why we seriously investigate God's word to look for those proofs. We go underneath the hood, underneath the covers, dig a little deeper, figure those things out because it gives a result. Now, let me give you an example. All right, everybody. Um, I'm talking to one of my kids yesterday and they had just had a game that they played in. And I said, how'd the game go? Game went great. I said, okay. Uh, did the coach say anything to you? Yeah, the coach did. The coach said, I need to work on this thing. It's very important that I work on this one thing. I said, that's very interesting. Have you heard anybody else who for like the past three years who's been telling you to work on that thing? And, 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 and that person who said this thing to you for the past three years, you said, you don't know what you're talking about. And this person said, you know, I know what I'm talking about. You got to do this thing, right? That would be me. Let me tell you, if you're... Uh, You'll, you'll love this if you're a parent. Parents, parents are like God. We know everything. If you're a child in this room today, just do what we say, all right? Okay, here's the thing. So I tell them to do this. Why was I so resolved? Why was I so resolved that I absolutely knew the right thing? Because I knew the right thing. There was no question. They said, but, Dad, I'm not going to be going against the coach. I said, no, you're not. I can guarantee you're not going to go against the coach. Dad, you're putting me in a difficult situation. No, I'm not putting you in a I'm actually putting you in a great situation. You should do what I'm telling you to do. Because I knew. I had proof positive. There was no doubt in my mind. I knew how to play this particular game, and I knew what they should do. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? If you're having a problem with resolve, if you feel like, oh, man, I just keep defiling myself and falling away from honoring God, the more proof you have, positive proof, it strengthens your resolve. It steals your resolve. That's the first thing. Second thing, everybody, is this. A resolution needs to be made in community. Do not gloss over this fact that Daniel had his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is a very big deal. Sometimes we think, you know what, man, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to honor God. I'll just go all by myself. The dumbest thing we could do is try to do this thing all by ourselves. Isolation is a formula for failure here. It's very important that Daniel has his buddies. Don't you think that those teenage boys every now and then broke down? They went into a corner and said, man, I want to eat that meat so bad. That filet mignon looks so good. I just want to feast on it. These guys had been under siege, all right? They starved them out. People eat each other when you're under siege. There is no food in the house when you're under siege. Teenage boys. I don't know if you've been around a teenage boy. These kids like to eat. If I don't feed my son for a while, he'll eat the doors off the house, right? They want to eat. And so he's been in a situation where he has no food, and all of a sudden, as much food as he wants is put out there. Here's the deal about the male brain, ladies. We can't handle when something is all you can eat for the same price. That's why buffets are not good for men. It doesn't compute. I have to keep eating. It's not a question. So these guys, this is a big temptation. Don't you think that they needed each other? They needed help. This is why we encourage community groups. 
This is why people are going through weight loss. They encourage you to do it in a, in a community of people. It's most effective. We have this class we call Financial Peace University. It's about helping people understand finances, getting out of debt. Why do we do that in community? Because it's better. All the studies show that we're much more effective. We encourage you to get in community. So this week in community, I can't wait. This week in my community, I'm going to go to my group and say, you know what? Here's one thing I'm dealing with, and I need your help as I deal with it. Because there's accountability there's encouragement, there's wisdom, there's support. I get that when I bring that before a group of other people and Daniel had that. And so he could be resolved. In the early church, they had, uh, they had baptism. We still baptize today. It's very important. In the early church, they were killing people who were Christians. But when somebody stood up and they said, hey, okay, I'm going to be baptized, it's like they're outing themselves to everybody saying, you know, okay, this is a big accountability. The whole entire public knows that I'm a follower of Christ. A lot of accountability there. This is the very reason why I don't put a Jesus bumper sticker on my car. I don't do it because I don't want that accountability when I'm driving in traffic. I don't want that kind of accountability. I want, you know, hey, there's only so much accountability I want in my life. You understand what I'm saying? But we have to open up. We need community. Don't gloss over that. Resolution needs proof and it needs community. Third thing it needs, it needs a strong degree of difficulty. The word is a strong word. You don't need to be resolved for something that's really easy to do. So this is actually very difficult to do. It's a very strong... This guy, Daniel, could have been beaten. He could have been killed. He could have been thrown out of this school. You know, all this stuff could have been... T- he didn't know what it was going to turn out to be. He had no idea this time. I mean, we read these stories and we're like, oh, man, it's okay. Tell the guy you're not going to eat the meat because you're going to be okay. Well, we know that because we've got just a couple verses later, we read that. But he doesn't know that. You know what? I'm so, I'm so crazy. I pray, oh God, please grow my faith. Well, the only way you're going to grow your faith is if you use your faith, right? Oh God, grow my faith. And then God puts me in situations where I have to use my faith. And then I go to people and say, would you please, can you believe I'm in this situation where I actually have to use my faith? Would you pray for me to get out of this situation where I have to use my faith because I don't want to use it anymore? You know what I'm saying? Isn't that kind of nuts? That's what I do. That's what I do. This is tough. Resolve means that you're put in a situation where you actually have to do something that's difficult. It's a very difficult thing. Let's move on. A resolution needs tact and humility. This is very important, the way he handles the situation. You know, we read, you're all probably familiar with the verse. Pride goes before the fall, or he who thinks he stand, take heed lest he fall. It all talks about pride here. Look at how Daniel handles the situation. He goes to him. Right? Remember, we're talking about meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And he goes to this guy who wants him to eat this meat that's sacrificed to all these demon gods. He goes to him, he says, I'd like to ask your permission, sir. Would it be okay if me and my buddies, like we didn't, would that be all right? Could we forego the meat? That'd be okay thing. Now, what if he would have wanted that guy, right? We're talking about eating meat sacrifice. What if he went to, and he said, listen, man, I ain't eating that meat. And all you all eat that meat are going straight to hell. You know, the Bible says that, when a person's ways, ways are pleasing to God, he makes even their enemies to be at peace with them. There is a way to do something right that is the wrong way to God. Does that make sense? And sometimes we try to do right things in a very arrogant way, and it's against God, and we don't have peace with even our enemies. Daniel had peace even with his enemies because not only was he doing the right thing, but he was doing it in the right way. He was doing it in God's way. He was doing it quietly. He was doing it humbly, what making a show out of it. 
Sometimes we get the false idea, you know, oh, man, I'm going to be fully devoted to God. That means we've got to walk up and down the street and tell everybody to turn or burn, go into hell, make a big deal out of how we're following God. I don't do that. Sick, sinful people. You know what I'm saying? We make, that's wrong. We don't see Daniel, this guy, fully devoted to God doing that. He does it with tact and he does it with humility. It's a wonderful thing. All right, finally, a resolution needs to be made today, not tomorrow, not next week. If you want your resolution to be strong, if you want to honor God, then the time to make the resolution is actually today. It says this in scripture, God speaking Exodus 34, obey what I command you when today, do it today. God says, second Corinthians six, two at the right time. I heard your prayers. On the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you that the right time is now, and the day of salvation is now. If you want to be resolved about some issue you're facing, right? The best time to resolve it is right now, right here today. You don't wait till you come down your path, down your pike over here, and now I'm presented with a temptation, something that's bothering me or something that's going to trip me up and cause me to dishonor God and defile myself. You don't then make that decision here because when you try to do it here, your chances for failure go way, way up. You're best to make the resolution here and now so you're prepared when you get over here to this situation. When is the last time you saw a fireman running into a fire without his fire suit on. I mean, he's going to wait till he gets into the fire to put the suit on to protect him, right? Has anybody ever seen that happen? Fireman, I'm going to run into the fire, then I'm going to get myself dressed up. No, what he does is he puts a suit on, goes in. Krista has um, a cousin, her cousin's son, actually. I don't know what relation that is. What relation is that? Her cousin's son. Second cousin? Thank you. I'm never good with that kind of stuff. doesn't make any sense to me. I don't even like the family anyway, so it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> She's not here, and hopefully she won't listen to this tape. Uh, anyway, the kid went through military school, went to college, uh, VMI, and uh, he's an Army Ranger. So he's going through Army Ranger training. Man, they're like to kill the kid. They've got him down in Florida. They drop him out of airplanes, parachuting into the Everglades, right in the, right in the center of the Everglades. Look at alligators and stuff down there. They're just dropping them right in there. People are breaking their legs, getting bit by alligators and snakes, and they're telling us these stories. Like, My goodness, that is crazy. They're going to kill these kids. They're not even in war. They're going to kill these kids. They had this kid, made him stay awake for like three days or something. And he's walking with a big pack and you know, this little narrow path and the Everglades on each side. He fell asleep on his feet walking and like down into the water. And, you know, that woke him up quick. But, you know, I'm thinking all of this stuff, these kids are really going through it. Is that a smart thing to do? Yes, it is. You know why it's very smart? Because things aren't going to be very good when you drop somebody down in a parachute and somebody's shooting at you with live bullets. So what the army does is they train these guys very well because the deal is this. The chances of them surviving battle when they're in the midst of the battle when they've been trained so well go exponentially up. Now, anybody here in the military that can verify that? Is that true? Is that true? One hand over there, all right? Another hand over like you guys should say hooah or something like that. You should do something. This right. This is this right. This is what we do. Same holds true with trying to honor God in all you do. You make your resolve today. That way, when you get over here, whether it's when you are exiting this parking lot today, 
or it's sometime this week, or it's next month. When you then face a situation where you're going to either honor God or defile yourself in some way, your resolve has already been fixed and firmed, and you stand a much greater chance, much greater chance. I want to end with this. I want to encourage you to make a resolution today, and I want to talk about it in two areas, just real briefly. Three weeks ago, I went to a uh, conference to, uh, it was actually the week, it was the week after I talked about that, that, that study that was done on preachers and that, you know, they asked preachers to say, where are you on your preaching? Uh, do you think you're above average or below average a preacher? And we all know it should come out 50-50 because average is, average is 50. The last time I checked, it's 50. And I, all, I told you all that 90% of us preachers think that we are well above average. It's crazy. So I went to this preaching conference because I'm trying to break into that 90%. So I went to this preaching conference that very week. It was led by the former chaplain of the Senate, Lloyd Ogilvie. He, he was the chaplain of the Senate back in the 90s. And he told this story. I thought it was just so great. He told this story. He said one day he was speaking in this chapel service, the Senate. And he said, you know, time is very tight. You never go over, you know, in your chapel services. And he had a bunch of senators there in front of him. And he did his message and he got to the end and he felt so strongly that God was saying to him, you know what? You need to, you know, you make a call for salvation right here and now. And so he, he said that... Um, he said to everybody, he says, look, uh, a lot of you guys, you, you know about God. You've been going to church a long time. You have knowledge of God. But some of you have never personally made a total commitment to Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life. And you need to do that right now today. You need to do that today. And then he stopped and he stood. And he said he could hear the clock ticking on the wall. This is Boom, boom. And he said he started sweating and all this. He said he went for about a minute. And one of the senators put up his hand. He said, I need to do that right here. There are some of us here this morning. We need to do that. And we need to do that today. You can say, well, I'll wait and I'll do that some other time. Well, we read the scripture. The best time to do that actually is right now today, to resolve to do that today. Many of us, we know about God. We've been coming here. We've listened on TV or we went to another church sometime, younger, whatever. Well, we've got knowledge about God. But have you personally resolved to commit your life to Jesus Christ as the Savior of your life? Have you done that? Have you resolved that one? I want to encourage you today, before you leave today, to really think about that. Have you, are you 100% sure that you have done that? Ask Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins. And to be the savior of your life. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing. When we read in the scripture, it talks about Jesus Christ being our savior and being our Lord. There's a difference between the two. One is that save my soul. The other one is I'm living 100% sold out for you. I'm fully devoted to you. We would not have the rest of this book of Daniel unless Daniel was fully resolved to honor God with his entire life. Have you resolved that one today? So we're talking about how we can strengthen our resolve. Have you resolved that one today? I went for many years of my life. I was all about going to heaven. (laughs) But that other thing, that was a different story. And I can tell you this, when I came up against temptations in my life, I folded a lot. But when I finally came to a point in my life where I said, okay, this is it. I'm resolving to fully, fully follow God with everything. I'm resolving to do that right here, right now. When I did that, I did not become perfect. Let's not get crazy. I did not become perfect, 
But I got a lot better. My resolve became stronger. I didn't become like Daniel. He's like a superstar in my eyes. But I became better. It helped me more. And I want to encourage you. You've never done that? You've never done those two things? Today. Today is a great day to do it. I'd be happy to pray with you. Our prayer team be happy to pray with you. It's really important that you consider that. Now, here's the last point, the last fill in the blank. A resolution brings the favor of God on your life. What I find fascinating about this is we're told in verse number eight that Daniel resolves not to defile himself. And the first words out of verse number nine are this. Here it goes. Now God. Now what does God do? Now God caused Daniel to be favored. Daniel, for the rest of the whole chapter, it's all about how Daniel was favored and lifted up and God did amazing things in this boy's life that he could have never asked or imagined. And the picture that I get in my head as I read those verses is it's almost like God is sitting on the edge of his throne. And the moment Daniel makes this strong resolution, it's like he looks around to his angels and says, now get down there and bless that boy. Get down there and pour out favor and blessing on him like he could never imagine. My wife read me this incredible quote just recently. This quote says this. When we don't spend time with God, God is not disappointed with us. I'll say that again. When we don't spend time with God, or the same could be true, when we don't fully commit our lives to God, right? God is not disappointed with us. It's not like God saying, oh, man, can't believe it. Look at them down there, sinful people, not spending time with me or not being full. God's God's not disappointed with us. Here's what the quote says. He's not disappointed with us. He's disappointed for us. Why? You and I can't begin to imagine the many great things that God wants to do in all of our lives. The proof positive is right here. It's not a disappointment with. It's a disappointment for. God... Like any parent, if you're a parent, if you are a parent, I don't want to tell you just to become a parent so you can change your view on God because you shouldn't go out and randomly have kids. But my understanding of God became radically transformed when I had kids. I'm dying to bless my kids. I'm dying to just to keep all kinds of good things on. I want to so badly. God is waiting for that resolution on our part so that he can bless us with favor beyond what we could ever imagine. It is an amazing thing. And I want to encourage you to consider, strongly consider doing that today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much, God, for your word. I thank you that your word is so powerful and so true and so helpful. Father, for those of us here who are grappling with this idea about making this resolution that Jesus Christ, you are the Savior of my life, help each one of us to make the right decision on that. For those of us who are grappling with the idea about fully committing ourselves to being followers of you, Jesus, that we would honor you in all of our ways, all of our ways, help us to make the right decision on that. Help us, God, to honor you. Some of us have come here this morning and we kind of are feeling some shame because we feel like we're defiled. We want to stop doing the things that we're doing. We feel defiled. Father, strengthen 
steal our resolve so that we can honor you in all of our ways. In Christ's name, amen.